Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today I'm joined by Richard Hammond, who's CEO at Uncrowd. Hi Richard, how are you? I'm very good, Simon. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this one. So before we start to talk about simple retail, how that links to some of the stuff you're doing at Uncrowd, Richard, tell us a bit about yourself. Give us a career biog. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of boring, really. I've been a retailer forever, <laughs> since I was a 15-year-old kid, uh, 36 years now. Um, but then 20 years ago, I uh, started my own consultancy to retail problem solve. So everything from things like uh, positioning brands at retail, I did that for Sony, uh, training senior leadership in customer centricity, did a lot of that for Kingfisher, uh, through to format development for people like BP. Um, and all the while I was writing about retail, uh, one of the most successful retail how-tos of all time is a book called Smart Retail, which in the UK I have to kind of, I reluctantly admit to being the author of because you, you know, you, you like to be self-depreciative, but we do a lot in the US now where if you, if you play it down, if you don't say it's one of the best selling, uh, retail books of all time, uh, people say, well, why am I talking to you? <laughs> um, so, uh, but that, that opened up an opportunity to, explore my real love which was to understand a really basic question why does a customer choose one retailer instead of another Uh, and that's led to the founding four years ago of uncrowd which is where i am now Uh, and uncrowd essentially measures experiences and is able to tell a retailer whether their experience is relatively more or less attractive than somebody else's and what to do about it excellent and we'll we'll get into the detail of that what that means how you kind of do it as we evolve the conversation but if we take ourselves both back to our kind of retail days me being an ex-retailer too so hopefully we're we're going to be talking the same language I think people make retail really complex so I think they over overthink things maybe certainly head offices down to stores make things complex don't see it from the complexity of the task the operation from the store team and, and at times certainly from the the customer team yeah. And and I know in some of your writing, you've talked about kind of the, the what to sell to who, the why and the how. So if, if we start and think about the retail landscape in the UK, the what to sell has probably been the demise of department stores, House Fraser, Debenhams to name but two. And do you think that's because they try to be everything to everybody or they lost sight of their customer or it just kind of slipped away from what what are your thoughts on kind of that as an example of the what to sell and the, yeah. the to who it's a really good question because if you look at liberties fenix and selfridges they've got three thriving department stores doing doing great and the reason they're doing great is because each one of them has really concentrated on clarity of offer that you know why you're going there you know what that place delivers for you. and selfridges in particular Pretty much everything in that building you can buy for less and easier elsewhere, but it's worth buying it from Selfridges, the building, the, the space, because of the theatre and creativity and the the additional reward you get from being in that space. And retailers, we quite often dismiss the value of those things because it can be quite hard to measure but you have some really good examples of how the reward side of a customer's value equation, and I'm going to say a customer's value equation, I don't mean that customers are walking around going, I'm calculating my uh, relationship, but subconsciously and consciously, we do put more than just price and friction in our decision-making process. So when you have a Debenhams and a, uh, I mean, Debenhams was also a victim of, of hubris, of course, the, uh, 
taking the head office, for example, away from being above a store on Oxford Street and putting it into a phenomenally expensive building that they shared with Facebook yep. never made a lot of sense to me. Because you remove yourself from your customers, you put yourself in an unreal environment, you lose touch. It's it's those small um, those small moments that so important. I, I, I always remember first visiting Pound Stretcher, their head office, which was on the back of one of their warehouses, and you walked in, and it was almost like it was almost like entering the house of a hoarder. You had to climb through stock and samples to get to the reception desk before you could even start get into the building. But there was this incredible moment where I was sat there in reception and the receptionist, she'd been chatting away and it was lovely. And then she suddenly said, oh, do you see these uplighters? That uplighters, that age is this story. You see, <laughs> the, <laughs> you see these uplighters over here? We're doing those two for £10. Even the receptionist was bought in to the, to the clarity of what Pound Stretcher was for. She knew why they existed and she was proud enough to want to tell a visitor she'd never met before about this product that she was excited by. And that, that connection with customer is is it's the it's the be all and end all. It really is, and it's not that difficult to get to. You know, it's not that difficult to understand that you have to be something. But coming back to your point, Simon, about you know all things to all men, yeah, it's it's exactly uh, one of those problems. If you if you set yourself to keep everybody happy, you generally keep no one happy. It's a bit like families. You know, you try and make a decision in your family that. Uh, makes everybody happy. Uncle, Uncle Wasp's name and 14 kids and all those things. You go, the balance is nobody ends up enjoying what you've set up. Um, and actually, when instead you say, it's Arthur's birthday, so we're going to build it around Arthur. Arthur loves it to bits and, you know, always wants to to be in that environment again going forward. It's it's really important to know where you fit. Yeah, I, I suspect the... Um the accompanying offer to your uplighters was dado rail as well for those that remember it two, two, <laughs> two things at the past my, my background in retail was primarily diy so yeah uplighters get it dado yeah. rail could never could never sell enough of it it was never straight as well which was always right. a, a, another problem and self, self-stick dado rail as well yeah yeah Plastic. Abs- absolutely so if we think <laughs> of the other end of the spectrum then back to that so places like aldi lidl where you know i think the offer is cost you understand potentially you're going to queue from a service-led point of view you understand maybe there's not many people on the the floor to ask the range is created so they sell what they sell and they'll bring in specials to keep it relevant seasonally is that is that the point where you see people hitting the mark or is it something different Audi and Lidl are are two fantastic retailers uh, and fantastic for some of those those reasons that you mentioned and it is about focus it is about understanding what they exist for and there's an amazing story from Tesco's failed attempt to do a discounter. So Tesco's created Jack's, and you might remember that Jack's closed down their final stores at the beginning of this year. Yeah, they. Uh, I think it was probably Retail Week. They took the UK managing director of Lidl around the first Jack's to open, and the first thing this guy did, and I love this, is he walked in and he pointed at the high ceiling, and he said, "Can I just ask who's paying for heating that?" And that tells you about the focus that those little guys and the Aldi guys have on their model, that they know that you don't have big, tall ceilings because your heating bill's higher, so you have to pass those costs on to the customer, so you can't be as competitive. You know, that kind of level of detail comes from understanding what you're for, and that's what helps you helps you win. But from a customer perspective, Aldi's laundry brand is a really good example of exactly what you describe. So their laundry brand, uh, Almat, has 5% of the laundry market in the UK, which is 
unbelievable for an own brand in a discounter that has uh, I think Aldi are up to 10% market share something like that. I can't remember exactly it might be more than that now um but for Almat to have a 5% market share is phenomenal the reason it has that market share is that there is a balance between the shopping friction and the purchase reward that the customer has to go through to get that laundry so up until recently you couldn't buy online uh you had to go into as you say a store with a small car park where you knew you were going to have to queue where it might be a little bit tight to navigate around where there wouldn't be some of the brands that you normally look for you might be making a separate trip to go and buy your laundry stuff from aldi but the product's good it works really well it is low price but it's also incredibly easy to buy on the shelf. You go to the shelf and it's not five, you know, five meters of confusing, complicated choices. It is, do you want the one for colored clothes? Do you want the one for white clothes? Do you want the one for woolen clothes? And do you want it liquid or powder? And you go, oh, I want that one. Boom, I've got it. And the low friction of the purchase experience is also part of that equation. you know. And, and that's how a brand that is an own brand can end up with that kind of market share. It's a phenomenal example of how that focus, that simplicity of of the shopping experience can also drive a benefit for the customer. Yeah, and I, th- I think back, it reminds me, the reverse example reminds me back to my DIY days where we had, I think, you know, at 1.9 different types of hammer. <laughs> you know ranging from a two quid hammer to a 30 quid hammer now you know i get if you're a tradesman you might want good better best but for for the the uneducated what's what's the range and what's the benefit and the difference and, and guess what the most expensive ones got nicked and we sold loads of the cheap ones and the ones in the middle gathered dust <laughs> exactly but the audi guys will say to you they'll, they'll and, it, and it's a very much it's not about being cheap they'll say it's about being efficient it's almost a, you know, a, a German stereotype in some ways that the guys will say, why do you need a choice of six different um, window cleaners? These two work. <laughs> That's it. This one uh, smells like this. This one smells like that. Buy one of these two. You don't need to look at the other four. And, and, and then they'll say, well, of course, by reducing the number of SKUs, that means we can make all these savings, blah, 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 blah. And that's why you end up paying less. It's, it's genius. Absolutely. And I don't think any of the stuff we've just talked about is going to shock anybody. He's going to say, oh, I I get it now. We've got it so wrong. But (laughs) the the reality is when, you know, we we shop, you go to a retail party, you go down the high street, there's still not many getting it right. Well, see, that's an interesting one because I'm going to be probably a little bit like you, Simon, naturally defensive because retail is bloody hard yeah um and it's very easy to to lose that focus it's and that's why third-party businesses like ours have to exist because sometimes you have to step back to be able to see the wood for the trees i I know that almost seems crass to say it but we see it again and again and again and that's why that's why enlightened retailers will often say do you know what i've got really clever people around me i've built these fabulous teams i want to inject third-party independent views into it i want a couple of startups to work around us so that they can give me a view that is perhaps uh tangential to some of the ones that we have and then there's the other thing is that quite often and i I say this to my clients that if we just sat together in a room for two days we could make a list of the 200 things you should now change we could do that and they would be pretty accurate but the problem with that is that we then wouldn't know where to start we wouldn't then know which bits are really actually going to move the needle for us. Which which problem do we solve? So what you, you often have is you 
you fall into an operational challenge, which is you, you kind of say, well, where is the worst fire in the business? Let me put out the worst fire. Are we setting light to, to customers in Shrewsbury? Uh, okay, I've had that five times on a feedback form. Maybe I should stop setting people on fire. I'll go and tackle that. But the conventional tools that told you you've been lighting people on fire in Shrewsbury don't tell you how your offer lines up against anybody else's. It can't. It just doesn't. It isn't possible. So you never see yourself outside. You're looking in at your own belly button when really you should be looking at uh, everybody else's belly buttons to see whether yours is a good one or a bad one. So that that kind of plays us into some of the stuff you guys are doing at OnCrowd, doesn't it? Because in our, in our world, we do lots of process measurement and opportunities in terms of that process. So, you know, why are you counting stock? How often are you counting stock? Yeah. Where do you sit in the benchmark stuff? You you guys come at it from a, a slightly different point of view. So just, just talk us through how that works in terms of what you do at OnCrowd and how that kind of unlocks the previous part of this conversation yeah i mean there are always two sides to to improving your performance the the only ways you can make more money is sell to new customers sell to existing customers more often sell more each time you make a sale and the fourth one is become operationally more efficient is reduce your costs and increase your margin you you guys are brilliant at that and that fourth one you absolutely that should be the starting point for any ceo who's just came come into a new retailer the first thing you should be looking at is where am i spending money that i shouldn't be spending where am i operationally inefficient absolutely bang on what we do is we then look at a very straightforward idea which is can you measure the experience in retailer a retailer b retailer c retailer d and compare them in such a way as you can work out which of those experiences are relatively more or less attractive to customers trying to do certain things in certain mindsets. But that, I mean, that's kind of a, a, a complicated way of looking at it. I'll tell you where it came from in the first place, and that will give you a, a way better clue as to why this is so essential. Um, I'd gone to Sainsbury's on a Friday night. I live in Oxford. Sainsbury's in Kidlington is just up the road. Um, so I, I, trundled up to Sainsbury's to go and get the family meals for the weekend because that's how we tend to shop is we're not a big shop kind of family and so it's those nice four uh, you know you want to set up your waffles on the Saturday morning all that lovely stuff I got to Sainsbury's parked to the back of the car park because you've got to have a bit of exercise and uh, <laughs> went to put a pound in the trolley of course I hadn't got a pound and I knew that if I walked into the store I could go and get a token and come out but I thought you know what sod it enough is enough and I went home we did a takeaway for that night, and I put my first Ocado order in. And I suddenly looked at that and thought, that tiny thing, that tiny straw that broke the camel's back, could Sainsbury's have quantified the financial impact of choosing to secure trolleys with a pound coin instead of uh, perimeter magnets? And that really set me off on this idea that Sometimes, so that you know, the reason you you, you can't uh, you have to put a pound in a trolley is because to get that store built, the local council will have said your planning application has to have um, some provision for not letting trolleys get out of the way. There's two systems of doing it: one is coin in the in the slot, the other is magnets at the perimeter. One's really expensive, one's really cheap. And somebody pragmatically in that retailer said, "Look, operationally, it's not not too big a deal for customers to put a pound in the trolley. That's the route we'll go." Well, collectively. That one little thing could be the thing that makes you relatively less attractive to a Cardo or to an Uber Eats or to getting your, the local uh, takeaway to deliver tonight's food or to just going to the, the co-op around the corner on your way home from work. And it's all that combination of 
customer inputs and customer outputs, my shopping frictions, my purchase reward that, that add up to collectively our decisions to shop where we shop. So what we do is we measure all that and we measure all that down to a tiny little degree and uh, produce these incredible, accurate, credible and actionable treasure maps. This is where your opportunity to become relatively more attractive lies. Here be gold. Now, you've you've hit the nail on the head a little bit because I had that exact, I won't mention the supermarket, same experience on Sunday. Went right. to the supermarket to get a few bits. Now, this for me is a, is been magnified post-COVID uh, because I don't carry cash anymore. Yeah. Go to the get the trolley. So all through lockdown, guess what? Taking off the pound things because we didn't want contact, get all that. Now they put them all back on. And I saw three people, me being one, got there, put the bags in, put their hand in the pocket, huffed and puffed, took the bags out, <laughs> walked back to the car, drove off. Because it, because it, it's it, it's a, it was a pain before, but it's even more of a pain now. And back, back to some of the, I'm sure yeah. the things you gather. If we managed with it through COVID and lockdown and all those horrible months, why have we just reverted back? Yeah, and it, a lot of it is down to the, the the pragmatic issue of the local council coming around and saying, "Look, your trolleys are escaping, and we need to have a conversation." But, but when you think about it. All, all to all shopping decisions, all choices of where we essentially where we interact are based on a very straightforward internal calculation. How much effort do I have to put in versus what do I get out of having put that effort in? We call it friction and reward. But um, with with the trolley example, you are physically putting a barrier in the way of the customer doing something that makes them spend more. So even those customers that that do go, oh, I haven't got a pound. I'll go. I'll grab a basket instead. They spend less than if they'd have got a trolley. And I just, if you just sit down together and you go, oh, crikey, uh, this is a really idiotic thing we're doing here, isn't it? We should have plumped for the more expensive solution because this is, this turns out to be critical to the way that customers perceive us. But because everybody did it, every supermarket felt that they could also get away with it. And it's not until you have things like Amazon Fresh enter the marketplace with uh, checkout list stores that all of a sudden, the market has to move. So, for example, self-service tills within supermarkets. Supermarkets will tell us, grocers will tell us, oh, they're for customers' benefit. It means now where there used to be 20 aisles, there's now 40 tills available. But, yeah, 15 of those uh, – sorry, uh, 25 of those tills you have to operate yourself, and only a few tills actually have a person on them anymore. Um, essentially, the retailer has shifted the labour to the customer and told the customer to be grateful for having – taken on that extra burden you can do that when you're in a closed a closed market then someone like amazon comes along and goes no sod it forget forget counters altogether and now in london we've got tesco's we've got sainsbury's we've got aldi and we've got amazon fresh all with checkout list stores that are creating great experiences and that's that's the thing sometimes it takes it takes disruption to shift us off frankly off our ass to do the right thing and what people like Amazon show is that if instead you do it first, then there's an advantage in that. And that's a big change that I'm seeing in retailers, particularly in the UK, is people like Marks and Spencers, people like John Lewis even, are really invest and Sainsbury's and Tesco, to be completely fair, are investing a huge amount of effort and time now into 
working out what can we actually do that reduces friction, that increases reward before somebody else forces us to do it. And that's been brilliant to see over the last two years is that 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 almost that scales falling away from the eyes and saying, okay, we've taught customer centricity for a long time now. Now we have to recognize that doing these things isn't nice and fluffy. It's a commercial advantage if we become first mover. Yeah, and I think some of that is also driven by rising cost of labour. Back to your migrating off mantles to one person manning eight, ten self checkouts. You know, we're seeing all those things transpire, aren't we, in terms of cost of goods, supply chain. So, I think there's a, a perfect storm for the the ones that want to take more risk, and that risk doesn't have to be expensive. It's that fail quick, isn't it? Learn fast. Well, this this is the thing about risk is that if you don't know which risks are going to pay off then you end up spending a lot of money and not really knowing which part of that investment has worked. That's something that that we do, that we measure, is we can triage risk before you've done it. And again, it's not because we've sat down and said what features would be nice. This is because as a retailer, I was fed up of not being able to work out which of my investments were going to change things before until I did them, until I put them out there. So by measuring relative attractiveness, by understanding what's going to make me more relatively attractive than somebody else based on the real data, the uh, objective, observable reality of those experiences. Once I've got that, I can only I only then need to invest in the things that I can see are going to move that relative attractiveness needle. And that's massive. And your kind of data gathering, it's not something retailers have to watch into, is it? You're out there just doing it anyway. Yeah, we often say, again, uh, quite often in, in the American marketplaces where a little bit of bullishness uh, goes a long way, we tell retailers, look, we're already in your stores. We're already measuring you. And you can either opt into to seeing that truth uh, or, or, or not. Um, so grocery, for example, we're doing a 1,000 uh, research visits this month with our unique uh, smartphone tool that uh, does a full comprehensive observable uh, objective measurement of that customer experience at the most granular way and we'll come out of that with just about 400 measures on all the major players most of the major formats in uk grocery by the end of april and there's already a bunch of of, of, of clever retailers uh, have asked to sit down with us in may and start looking at some of those results which makes a lot of sense because um there is massive competitive advantage in some of what that reveals and we do it undercover so uh, you never know that one of our people is in your store. They they look like they're on a chat app with their mates. Um, sometimes pushing a suspiciously empty trolley around the <laughs> supermarket. But um, yeah, so far, touch wood, we've only been caught twice uh, and kicked out of a store, which is pretty good going. Yeah, excellent. And it, if there's a retailer listening to this, so it's it's not just um, supermarkets, is it? You cover kind of all, all the different types of retail how yeah. how's best for them to find out more get on board be more involved see the outputs yeah and we'd love to talk to what people are looking to 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 do with their kind of particularly as things become more challenging in terms of consumer spend what are, what are retailers want to solve now is it about working out where it's safe for me to cut costs we do that is it about working out where i need to make operational efficiencies we can point people in the right direction and people need to be working with businesses like yours to do exactly that to review all of those things that maybe got a bit flabby and a bit out of uh, out of kilter over the last couple of years of you know having to move fast to save ourselves um but yeah uh, uncrowd.uk that's the the company website 
but come and talk to me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm really active on LinkedIn. I really enjoy uh, sharing ideas and hearing what people have to say because I, I want to learn about, you know, as a retailer, I want to learn about what is keeping retailers up at night right now because often we're the, we're the solution. Excellent. Excellent. Richard, really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting. Fascinating insight. I'd, I'd urge anybody that works with us or through us to, to reach out and have a conversation with you because there's certainly uh, pots of gold, I, I think, to be had that maybe isn't being taken off the table now. Yeah, fantastic. Final question from me then. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Uh, look after the pennies. Um, I, I grew up uh, in a family business and we're a... Um, we're a business that is funded from investment and you suddenly have millions of pounds coming into the business. It's very easy to, to lose sight of that. And I think, I think retailers, we're, we're bred to think about, you know, every, every penny that goes out of the business, I could have done five other things with that. So I need to be, think really carefully before I spend it. So yeah, um, look after the pennies and the pounds will follow. Excellent. Love that one. Richard, been an absolute pleasure. Look after yourself and we'll catch up soon. Thanks very much, Simon.